Well, hey, we're in uh, week four of our series, What Makes You Happy? And I thought we would do a little review before we jump in uh, to the teaching today. So if you're here for the first time, you get a pass, no big deal, don't worry about it. But if you've been coming for a while, we want to see how much you have retained, okay? So uh, here's the first question. Let's see if you know the answer. Um, what makes you happy? What did we say? Yeah, no thing, no thing makes you happy. And we learned that happiness is more about a who than a what. It's about relationships, not necessarily uh, what we have, but the connections that we have. And then in week two, uh, we actually uh, talked about a farming term. And we said, if you want to be happy, what makes you happy? You remember the farming term? Sewing. Look, see here in the front rows. They got it. People on the balcony, what's up? Let's, uh, you know, say something here. Sewing. So what makes you happy? No thing and then sewing. And we learned that uh, there's something that's really important with happiness is that it comes to an outcome. There is a result uh, that takes place. Now, it's true that happiness is not immediately accessible, and that's why we talked about sewing. You've got to sew and sew and sew and sew. And if you're an unhappy person, uh, the reality is, is that your unhappiness is not going to totally be changed in a matter of moments because of my message today or some song that you listen to on the radio or a TED talk uh, that comes up. OK, it won't happen that way. Happiness is a process. And we said this, you sow your way into happiness. Some of you have sowed your way into unhappiness, and the reality is that you can sow your way into happiness as well. And you reap what you sow. So you sow and you reap, you sow and you reap, you sow and you reap. But the problem with sowing and reaping is that it takes time. The problem with the law of the harvest is you can plant a seed today, but you don't have a crop tomorrow. And sometimes you can plant a seed today and you won't have a crop next week. Sometimes you'll plant a seed today and you won't have a crop until next month because sowing takes time. Reaping takes time. So the problem with sowing and reaping is it takes time. It's not immediately kind of taken to us, but it's a process. And today... I want to talk about something that deals with happiness that you may not realize so quickly at first, and that is the connection between happiness and money. We want to talk about money and happiness. The truth is, is that all of us believe that there is a connection between happiness and money. And whenever you hear someone that stands up, usually a preacher who will stand up and say something like this, Money won't make you happy. Money won't make you happy. The Lord said money won't make you happy. And when I hear messages like that, I'm like, well, let me give it a try. Like, just give me a try. You know, I'll be a part of the research group. Give me some more money and I'll figure it out whether it makes me happy or not. Now, I was raised a PK, a preacher's kid, and my dad often would kind of preach that message to us. He'd be like, kids, money can't make you happy. And so to prove that, he would take us to Kmart, and these are the tennis shoes that he bought us. Do any of you remember what these were called? Tracks. T-R-A-X. They couldn't even afford the C-K on the end. I mean, it was just T-R-A-X. And this was the truth about tracks. Tracks were what everybody wanted, another kind called Adidas. But here's the problem between tracks and Adidas. How many lines does tracks have? Four lines. How many does Adidas have? See, if you're going to be cool back in the 80s, you had three, not four. But my dad was like, money won't make you happy, so you're getting tracks. And I thought to myself, money would make me happy because then I could have Adidas. But it never works. Folks, most of us believe that the, at the end of the day that money 
will make us happy. So today we're going to find out why is there a connection between happiness and money and what is the connection between happiness and money. And the conclusion isn't that money won't make you happy because I don't agree with that. Money does make life more happy because there's a connection between happiness and money. But where we mess up and where we often go off the tracks and we get it wrong is that we connect the wrong word between money and happiness. And the wrong word is this word right here, more. More. Uh, Many of us think to ourselves, well, if I just had more money, then I would be more happy. If I had more money, and I would be more happy. We can uh, kind of look at this next uh, slide here. How much more money, though, would it take to make you more happy? I just want to ask you today, think about it. Don't tell the person beside you. Don't answer out loud. But here's the question. How much more money would you need to be more happy? In other words, if you had more money, how much more money would you need for you to be more happy? Now, in our series, what we've been talking about is that when we think about happy people, all happy people have something in common. And the thing that they have in common is a word. And that word is what? They have peace. Exactly. They have peace with themselves. They have peace with others. And they have peace with God. And if you remember in week one, I actually gave us a graphic of what this looks like with a three-legged stool or three-legged table. That if you're going to be a happy person, most happy people, if you look and you recognize they're happy because they're at peace with themselves, they're at peace with others, and they're at peace with God. Happy people walk through life because they have a sense of feeling at peace with those around them. So let me ask you a little bit different question by using this word peace, and here's the question. How much more money would it take to give you peace? How much more money would it take to give you peace? How much more money would it take for you to be like, now I'm at peace. I mean, my kids are a mess, but I got some overtime pay, so I'm at peace. Or, hey, my marriage is a mess, but I got a raise, so all is good up in my household. How much money would it take for you to have a sense of peace? All I know is that Every single person in here knows that answer. All of you know that answer. And some of you might be like, I don't know because I don't have very much money. I don't care if you have a little money, a lot of money, or no money. Maybe you're in the middle. The answer for all of us to that question is this right here. More than you currently have. Right? That's the answer. I would be more happy if I had more than I currently have. Now, here's the thing, and this is why I'm so glad that you chose to come today. You see, there is a corollary between happiness and money, between your happiness and your money. There is a connection between your happiness and your money, because you know this. But the problem is, is that the word is not more. The word is never more because you know people who have a lot more money than you and they're very what? Unhappy. And then you know some people who have a lot less money than you and they're like extremely happy. I mean, you know uh, another family who makes twice as less as you. 
But they're always loving on each other and caring for each other. Everybody likes to go and be at their house. And you make twice as much as that family. And no one wants to go to your house for Thanksgiving. And it's not because of your money. So you get the concept that there are some people that have a lot more than you and they're not happy. And there's some people that have a lot less than you and they are happy. Now, again... There is this connection between money and happiness. But the reality is the connecting point is not the word more, but it's this word right here, manage. It's not about what more I can have, but it's manage. And it kind of leads us to our big idea this morning, your first fill-in on the app or in your program, and it's this. The relationship between your money and your happiness is management. It's not about more. It's about managing what you have. Folks, it's not about how much you have. It's about how do you manage what you have. It's not about how much you have. It's about what you manage with what you have. And whatever that is, it determines your happiness. How you manage your money determines how happy you are. Now, here's a a statement here that's true as well. Money can contribute to your happiness if you manage it well. If you manage your money well, there is happiness that tends to take place. And if you don't, if you don't manage your money well, your money will manage you. Have you ever heard that before? If you don't manage your money well, your money will manage you. The greatest anxiety that I've ever had surrounding this whole issue of money is when I haven't managed it well. When I don't manage my money well, I stay up way too late at night worrying about it. I'm anxious. I'm fretted. I think about it all the time. And in those moments when I haven't managed my money well, I was not happy. Now, this morning, I want us to look at a passage of Scripture that uh, Jesus gives to us. Because as you look at this passage, you think he's going one direction. And then all of a sudden, because he's a master teacher, he kind of turns and goes to a different direction and listen to how this goes down. It's in Luke chapter 16, and this is what it says. No one can serve two masters. Now, some of you are like, oh, I've heard that before. Okay, no one can serve two masters. And you're like, masters? Man, that's like first century. We don't have masters today. Why are we talking about masters? That doesn't make sense at all. I mean, no one is my master. I'm my own master. I do what I want, when I want, where I want. No one can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and love the other, or you will be devoted to the one, and you will despise the other other. And Jesus is sharing all of this, and he doesn't go to the middle of the road. He gives no middle ground in the midst of this. Jesus is just extreme here, and Jesus gives to us who the two masters are that he's talking about. No one can serve two masters. Who are they? He says, you cannot serve both, what's it say? God and what? And money. You cannot serve both God and and money. You can't do that. Now, what's kind of ironic about this whole message that Jesus gives to us is that when you think of the opposite of God, you don't think money. When I think of the opposite of God, I think the devil. Or I think of sin. Or the opposite of God is evil. Or the opposite of God is the New England Patriots. But Just joking if you're a Patriots fan, okay? Just joking. But when you think about the opposite of God, you don't think money. Nobody ever thinks that. And yet Jesus said, you cannot serve two masters. You cannot serve both God and money. Now what's interesting is that this word money is, uh, actually if we go back, the one on money, all the way back. 
all the way. There we go. Good. So this word money right here does not just mean money. But uh, you might see it in another translation. It's the word mammon. Or the reality is that word actually means your stuff. Any of your stuff. All your stuff. It's the stuff you want. It's the stuff you have. It's the stuff that you think your money would purchase the items that you want. It's your stuff. And Jesus says you have to serve one of two masters. And you'll either serve God or you will serve your stuff. In other words, Jesus says that your chief competitor in your life is not sin. It is not the devil. It is not evil. But the chief competitor in your life, what you give your heart and your devotion to, is your stuff. Your stuff, your money, is the chief competitor for your heart and for your mind. Now, the problem is, most of us who are here today, we just don't believe it. We get kind of defensive and we go, I don't serve my stuff. My stuff serves me. It's not about my stuff. It's about what serves me. And Jesus says, be careful now because maybe you kind of read the scripture very wrong. And Jesus says, be careful what you're doing because it's not a scripture that maybe you've looked at. As well as you could. So let's go back and let's look at this passage and look at the bolded kind of places. No one can serve two masters. Either you will hate one and love the other, or you will be devoted to one and you will despise the other. And so these two bolded words here are kind of key. And it is uh, love and devoted. When it comes to This concept of love. Most of you would say, I don't love my stuff. I don't love my money. That's not what it's about. It's not about loving that. And Jesus says, well, not too quickly, because I want you to see that when I'm talking about love, what I'm really talking about is devotion. It's really about being devoted to one another or to one another instead of being despised by The other. I mean, if you're devoted to something, what does it mean to be devoted to? It means that you're really, really strongly attached to whatever that thing is. And when you think about that, when you think about what you're devoted to, you're like, ah, I just can't believe that. I mean, I just am so attached to it. Sorry, we're having mic issues here, so um, we're doing the best we can. Um, so that's what it, that's what it is. Um, so let me ask you another question, and here's the question, but uh, I'm going to meddle just a little bit with who you are and what's going on in your life. And here it is. Here's the question. Has your desire or your devotion for something ever caused you to do something stupid? Has your desire or devotion for something ever caused you to do something stupid? All right. We haven't done this in a while. Can everybody hear? There we go. So, has your devotion or your desire caused you to do something very stupid? Now, let me say it this way. Has your desire, Jesus' word, devotion, For something, have you ever just said, I want this thing, I want this thing, I want this thing? Has it ever caused you to do something stupid? Now, what I want you to know is that that word stupid doesn't have a comma before it. In other words, I'm not calling you stupid, okay? So I don't want someone to leave and go, hey, you know what? Uh, the pastor, I'm never going back to that church because he called me stupid, okay? No, that's not what I said. What I said is, have you ever done something or ever has it ever caused you to do something 
stupid, okay? And uh, the key is, is that all of us, if we were to have looked at our life, we would all have a resounding what? Yes! Yes, I've done something. I've had an impulse buy. I, I bought something that I didn't need. I had some debt in my life, and I'm still in debt because I bought something I really didn't need. You bought some stuff, and you're like, why in the world did I do that? And yet, there is a common sense that comes to you and says, I shouldn't have bought that because I already have one of those. For example, I already have a pair of shoes, ladies. Okay, we'll give the guys a hard time too, okay? I already have some tools, guys, or your spouse or girlfriend might say, you are the tool. That's what it is, you know, that's what it is. I already have a car. I already have a pan. I already have a couch. I mean, it's perfectly good, actually. My my couch is fine. Like, there's nothing wrong with it. And then all of a sudden, though, you get this desire, and you're like, oh, but I need that. I need it. I need it. I need it. No, no, no. You don't need it. You want it. And you'll do anything to finally get that. And then you go ahead and you purchase it and you think to yourself, that was so stupid. That was so stupid. Now, let me ask it a different way. And here it is. Has your desire for something ever caused you to do something you regret? Has your desire for something ever caused you to do something that you regret. You got that brand new car, but now you have a lease payment that you're like, I can't even get out of this thing now, and I can't afford it. You got a new appliance, uh, and the reality is you don't even use it. Uh, When the George Foreman grill first came out, uh, Jen and I were like, we got to have this. So we got the George Foreman grill, and we're like, this is really, really going to help us. And then all of a sudden, guess how many times we used it in three years? Three times. That was it, once a year. That was the thing. And that desire to acquire just hits us. Uh, For example, any of you, if you have a boat, you live in Indiana. And the problem with your boat is, is that you eventually can't leave your boat somewhere because it's too cold. So then you have to go pay for what? Storage for the boat. So you're not only out the money for the boat, but now you're out the money for the storage for the boat. And sometimes you think to yourself, well, I guess we could maybe just recover that couch. Folks, if you get a spot on your couch, I'll tell you a solution. Blanket. You just put a blanket on it, nobody will ever know. You just take care of it that way. And has this ever happened to you before? You go to your full closet, and you start looking at it, and then many of you, this is the question that you ask or the statement that you make. You look at your closet, and it's like full with all kinds of stuff, and then all of a sudden you're like, I don't think I have anything to want. Yeah, I don't have anything to wear. No, you have tons of stuff to wear. And some of you are so affluent, you have more than one closet. And I have nothing to wear. I mean, why do we do that? Now, look up here. Look up here, everybody, if you kind of, you know, take a little snooze, come back. Jesus is really, really smart. And so he wanted you to know that actually, actually, your chief competitor is not evil, but it's your stuff. And that desire to acquire just enslaves us. Because when you and I are enslaved, I'm telling you, we're not happy no matter how much money you make. Now, Real quickly, I want to share with you uh, kind of three things that will answer this question. 
we go to the next slide, what leads us to unhappiness with our stuff? What is it that leads us to unhappiness? And here's the first thing that hits us when it comes to our stuff, and it is discontentment. Discontentment. Discontentment is the guarantee that I will never be satisfied with what I have because I know what you have. I'm never going to be content because I know what you have or I know what I could have. Disappointment guarantees or discontentment guarantees that I will be disappointed because I will never be satisfied with what I have because I know what you have. As you become aware that there is something that is newer, there is something that is shinier, there is something that is bigger, there is something that is more upgraded, you become discontent. You see this with gamers all the time. Uh, kids that are in middle school, if they have a game, it's like the game of games. But if they play it forever, pretty soon what happens is, they're discontent, or they're like, this isn't so good because there's something else that someone else has. And I'm not content because I don't have what the other person has. For some of you, you can't even remember because you're so discontent. You'll walk into the mall or to Walmart or into Target, and you'll walk by and you'll see something, and you'll go, oh, my word, I didn't even know This existed. And then by the time that you're done, you've taken that thing, put it in your car, and you're like going away. And you check out with it. And just 30 seconds before, folks, you didn't know it existed, and now you're checking out with it. What is up with that? Folks, I'm telling you, discontentment is a very, very powerful thing, and it is driven by awareness. A couple of months ago, my dad was over at our house, and he's like, oh, Chris, he's like, you got to check out this new store. I was like, what store is it? And this is the store, Ollie's. He said, Chris, I'm telling you, they have everything. I mean, they have absolutely everything. You just wouldn't believe all the stuff that they have. And he said this. He said, they actually have some stuff I didn't know existed. What? He's like, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And bargains, Chris, bargains. I mean, you just wouldn't believe. So a couple weeks later, I'm driving the car, and I have to get some light bulbs at um, uh, Lowe's, some special light bulbs. And I'm driving by, and I see this Ollie's. And I all of a sudden, my my car was like a magnet. I just, I just had to go. And, and I'm like sitting outside. And... I turned off the engine, and I kept hearing my dad, you know, I wasn't aware of it before, but it has everything. And you might remember a lesson that I did a few years ago in which I used this phrase, admire, not acquire. It's okay to admire things, just don't acquire them. We had little signs, I put it up there, and I turned the car off, and all of a sudden, that teaching came back to my mind. Admire, not acquire. Admire, not acquire. And I started the car back up, and I went to Lowe's. Now, that's what discontentment does. You're not happy with what you have, so you try to go and get something else. And then eventually it leads to kind of our second thing that our unhappiness uh, kind of deals with, and that is greed. And some of you are like, greed? I'm not greedy. Well, that's the thing with greed. You never see greed in the mirror. You only see it in somebody else. You never see it in the mirror. You see it with someone else. But We don't have time to go through a passage, but actually Jesus talked about greed. And his definition for greed is this. When it boils down to it, he says this. The assumption, it's all for my consumption. What greed is, is that you assume that everything you receive is for you to consume. Folks, greed is if it gets placed into my hands, it's for me. That if something gets placed in my hands, it's for me. I mean, I don't have anything that isn't mine. Whatever 
I consume, I consume, I consume because it's mine. And if I'm real generous, then I give something to some of you guys. But I want you to know that what I have is for me. And folks, when you live with this concept that this assumption that everything that comes my way is for me to assume to consume, by Jesus' definition, welcome to church, sorry if you're here for the first time, it's not my definition, but by Jesus' definition, if you assume that everything you receive is to consume, you're greedy. You're a greedy person. And here's the thing, if everything that comes to me, that comes to my hands, I consume it, who am I going to consume it for? Me. Not for anyone else. And here's the problem. Greed has an appetite, the desire for stuff and stuff and stuff and stuff, and the appetite, the problem is it never gets fully satisfied. So if you're driven by discontentment, you will live with the assumption that everything I receive is for my consumption. You're going to consume it. And what happens then is that what leads to unhappiness with our stuff, discontentment, then leads to greed. And then finally, the thing that really makes us happy, here's the next one, debt. I mean, that's what really makes us happy, right? Debt. I love debt. Now, listen very carefully. Because this is what I want you to realize about debt. It'll come up on the screen. I want is better than I owe. I want is so much better than I owe. I want is better than I owe. In fact, let's all say this out loud together. Repeat after me. I want. Hey, you got you did it on your own. Good, 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 good. So when you want something and you don't have it, there's tension. When you want something and you don't want to have to pay for it and you get a loan to get it, there's tension. We all know this, so every single one of us knows this. It is better to say, I want and don't have than I owe and I can't pay for it. I want... And I don't have is so much better than I owe and I can't pay for it. And the desire just comes to us and consumes us because you're always going to want more stuff. Everybody here is always going to want more stuff. But debt is when you become a slave. You become a slave to that desire. And your devotion leads you to that kind of slavery piece. Or worse yet, you can't make the payments. You get to the point where you're no longer able to pay that. You know, sometimes uh, you will go to God and you'll say, God, I want this, I want this, I want this, I want this, I want this. And maybe a husband or a wife or a friend or a family member or someone else comes up and says, hey, you know what? I don't think you should do this. I don't think it would be wise for you to do this. And you want this thing so bad and you actually finally get a prompting from God in which you're like, hey, you know what? This isn't wise. Don't do it. You can't afford it. It's stupid. You'll, you'll regret this. Uh, I had one of these promptings not too long ago. Our Suburban, the transmission went out in it. And uh, I had a couple of choices. I could either go buy a brand new Suburban or a used Suburban, or I could get the transmission fixed. Now, the, trans, the, uh, the Suburban is a 2002. Like, it's old, it's rusty, the transmission, maybe it's time. So I'm like, God, like, what do you want us to do? And I just got this prompting, $2,000. In other words, I kind of assumed that if it was more than $2,000 to get the transmission fixed, then I can go get me a new Suburban. But if not, then I just have to get the transmission fixed. And I went to get a kind of estimate of how much it would cost to get the transmission fixed. And this was the amount, $1,996. <laughs> I 
You know what I'm still driving? The 2002 Suburban. But guess what, folks? I'm not in debt. And I can drive by and I am happy because I don't have a car payment. Folks, debt is one of those things that you really will become a slave to it if you don't watch it. And here's what happens. When God has this conversation with you and you choose not to obey, it's like God switches sides. And all of a sudden now, he's on the side of the creditor. And he says, you know what? If you're going to be a follower of me, you pay your debts. You pay the things that you owe. And suddenly, God just says, nope, I'm on his side now. I told you, I warned you, I said not to do it, but you wanted the suburban bunch. And now you're struggling for it. And I'm not always always obedient in those things, but this time I was. And folks, God will always take the side of the creditor because he warned you. Folks, I'm telling you, I want is so much better than I owe. My wife Jennifer and I, when we first got married, we uh, were really excited about our marriage. And all of a sudden we started getting these invitations from these companies. Uh, one of those companies was MasterCard. And another company was Visa. And another one was Discover. And this is what they told us. This is what they said. They said, you're pre-approved. Folks, you're not like Jennifer and I, okay? You are not pre-approved. We, only making $16,000 a year at that time, we were pre-approved. And so we got one, and then we got a second one, and we just used our pre-approval as much as we could, everywhere we could go. And after the first year, we had maxed out two credit cards. And then the credit card said, actually, that pre-approval means you're approved, but you still have to pay us back. And I was like, oh, well, that's no problem. We'll just pay the, no, 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 19% interest on top of that. And this is what happened in year two, folks. We got so far in debt that we were unable to pay the minimum monthly payment. And it was at that time where it was such a struggle for us to make it that we decided that we would never get in debt again. And it took us five years But we got out of debt, and for 20 years, outside a reasonable mortgage, we have chosen not to live that way. Because I don't want to be a slave to a creditor. So, let's put up these happy words again. Uh, If we go to the next one. Uh, What leads us to happiness with our stuff? discontentment, greed, and debt. Those three, like just happy, happy, happy words. I mean, we love those words, right? Like discontentment. This is what's going to happen with some of you coming pretty soon. Maybe it's already happened. All of these companies are going to be sending you catalogs for Christmas. And you're going to get all those out, and they're going to be in front of you, and you'll start looking at them, and you can just look. You can look. And say, I want, I want, I want, I want. But then all of a sudden you can close them and say, I'm fulfilled. I'm fulfilled. Folks, discontentment erodes your happiness. How about this next word? This is a happy word. Greed. Just consume, 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 consume. It's all for me. It's mine. I want to consume it. And when you do that, you lose something. And then what about this last happy word, debt? I mean, isn't it so great after Christmas and the new year, after you've got all that stuff, you get a little note from your credit card company that says you owe this much, and you're like, hallelujah, praise Jesus. I'm so grateful that I got in debt for these items because look at my kids they're so happy and everyone's happy but guess who's not happy you and you're very unhappy in the midst of that so here's the practical application it's not very hard uh but you might want to listen here's the practical application stop 
Just stop. Stop with discontentment. Stop with greed. Stop with debt. You just say, I'm going to stop. And I'm telling you, if you make the choice to say stop and you're not going to take on any more discontentment or greed or debt, you will be so much happier. And what you'll find is you'll have a new master when you do that. And his last name will not be card. Okay, some of you will get that later. Okay, I thought that was better than what it was. Folks, today, the wisest thing you could do is to tell your money, you are not my master. And the way you do it is by living out three simple things that we've talked about since the beginning of the jar. And here are the things. Uh, How do you make your money happy? How do you make yourself happy? How to make your money make you happy? You give, you save, and you live off the rest. You give, you save, and you live off the rest. That is, every time you get some money, you go, you know what, money? You're not my master, and I'm going to prove it to you. And the way I'm going to prove it to you is I'm going to give some of it away. God says that it's very good for me to give, and so I'm going to give. You don't wait for the fundraiser, folks. You just Give to Christ and his church regularly right off top and you say, because I got a new boss now money and it's not you, but it's my heavenly father and I allow him to do that. God gives so that you can give it then away. So you give first and then secondly, when you give folks, this is what it is. It brings you joy. I've never known a person who has a real giving spirit that when they give, they're like, oh, I hate to give. I just hate it. No, no, no. Every time I see, like, a person gives, they're like, oh, I'm happy. Like, you never see someone walking up to the red kettle. It'll be coming out soon. And you never see them give it like, "Uh, I don't know. No, 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 no. They are happy when they do that. They want to be able to give. Discontentment, no joy. Greed, no joy. Debt, no joy. Joy comes in giving. And here's the next one, to save. What does saving do? What does saving do? Everyone, listen to this. Listen to this. Money in the bank leads to peace in your heart. Money in the bank leads to peace in your mind. Every time you save, it leads to peace. There is a peace in your mind. So you save and it results in peace. Debt does not result in peace. It never does. Saving does. Discontentment, no. Greed, no. Saving does. And then finally, you live off the rest. And when you live off the rest, it actually brings you a real sense of freedom. That you actually have a sense that you're free. You choose not to spend money on things that are frivolous because you're living in an attitude. I give, I save, and then I live off the rest. And that's what the Bible says brings you financial freedom. And you do that over time. And when you do it over time... You can drive right by some things and be like, nope, I don't need that. I'm good. I could buy one of those, but I'm not going to. I'm going to keep on driving. I could borrow some money for that. No, 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 no. I'm going to keep on driving because I would rather have joy. I would rather have peace. I would rather have freedom. I would rather be happy. So do you know what would make you happy financially? Because it's important. Do you know what would make you happy financially? And it's this right here. If we go to the next one, sowing in the direction of giving, saving, and living on the rest. Folks, you sowed in some other areas maybe that didn't bring you peace, didn't bring you joy, didn't bring you freedom. Why not try doing this option now of living that way? Now, I have a feeling that some of you are here and you're like, oh, man, Chris, I just wish I would have heard this like five years ago because I'm way in debt or I wish I hadn't heard this 
10 years ago or 15 or 20 years ago. I get that. Like we always wish we had heard something earlier than where we're at right now. I get that. But if you're sitting there, I'm telling you, and you're struggling in debt, it's not just going to go away. You've got to create a plan. And let me tell you something. You're not alone. Uh, we have a guy in our church who actually now oversees all of our financial planning. His name's uh, Shane Brooks. And they have actually, they were in debt over $50,000, but they changed the way they were thinking. And they started giving and saving and living on the rest. And now, uh, after several years, they're, they're happy because of that. So if you're in that place, Shane understands, and he would love to talk to you to be able to connect with you. And the way you can do that is by simply going to your connect card. And in the upper right hand corner, there's a blue box. And in this blue box, if you just check that nobody will see, nobody will see it. Wait till the lights go down, but he'll connect with you and help you down a road to where you could get out of debt to get out of, you know, budgeting money the wrong way, because this is the thing. Either you manage your money or it will manage you. And don't be prideful at this point. Just say, you know what? We want to do it right. And you can get some help. Finally, uh, there was something in your program that looked like this. I'd like you to pull it out. And it says giving on the smartphone app. For some of you, you're like, you know what? I'm waiting for an opportunity to give. And the way you could do that is very simple by going on the church app and you could do that. And uh, I'm never ashamed to be able to say, hey, it'd be a great thing in your life if you were to give. And it's an easy way to do it. Uh, over 50 percent of our people, that's how they give is they do it on the app, because at the beginning of the month, you have something. But by the end of the month, you don't have as much. But at the beginning of the month, if you say, God, I'm going to honor you, I'm going to give this to you on the front side. It's amazing how he cares for you by the end of the month. And this is how I know it. Because he's been generous to me. And every time that Jennifer and I sit down and we decide that we're going to give to this church, which we do every single paycheck, when we do it, what we start thinking about are the lives that are impacted. I think about all the single moms that were able to help out with an extra bill. I think about people who are homeless who walk in and we can help them with some gifting. I think of uh, ways that we're able to care for children in Jamaica. I think about marriages that have been put together through our small groups. I think about Celebrate Recovery, where there's been dozens and dozens of people that have found freedom through that that we're able to give. And I think of hundreds now, thousands, and now even we're up to tens of thousands of people that were actually have helped through the community basket to give items and to show love and to care for our community. I think about my kids every time they go up to jar kids, that when we're able to all give some, we're able to care for them in our student ministry as well. And we, we look back on this, Jennifer and I aren't reluctant to give. We're like, wow, like we get to be a part of this. We actually get to be a part of being able to help with that. And folks, each time we give, when I do that, I'm so happy. I'm so excited. I'll tell you just one short story. Yesterday, I'm at a swim meet, and there was a couple that we've been reaching out to. And they came for the very first time on Easter. And then they came a few other times. And uh, everything that happens here, you know, is because people give financially, and we're able to do that. And so they came and they experienced God and uh, they started growing closer and closer. And he came up to me and he goes, hey, I want to get baptized. And now all of a sudden I'm like, that would have been worth everything to see the impact that's going to happen in his life and his family's life. So whether you want to give on the app or if you're more like me, I'm a check writer. We have envelopes that are at the guest connections. You can pick it up. And we're not reluctant because as we give, we realize that we're telling money, you're not my master. And we save, and then we can live off the rest. So here's the bottom line for each one of us. Would you consider today inviting your heavenly father to be a part of your financial world? Let's pray. 
Father, thank you so much for helping us talk through tough stuff today. It's not easy. I don't think it's by coincidence that the mic wasn't working right and things were wrong because many times, God, when we talk about this subject, especially in church, we get defensive. But then we have to be reminded, God, you've given us everything. You've blessed us in so many ways. And it's because of that that we want to give to you. And God, maybe there are some people right now that they just they just feel their stomach turning. It's just churning inside of them because they're struggling with debt. God, help them not to keep living that way. Help them to take the courage to check that upper right-hand corner of the blue box and to have someone to reach out to help them out. And God, maybe for a college student or someone that's married or single, maybe today was just a wake-up call for them. God, I pray that you would give them wisdom on what you want them to do next. Now, maybe there are some of you who are here for the first time. You're like, man, I picked a great week to come. I mean, it's on money. And uh, But when you've thought about it, you're like, wow, you know what? It has become my master. And my life has felt, felt so unfulfilled. And so maybe today's the day in which you're like, you know what? I want to give my very life to God. I've been trying to do it on my own, and it's just not working. But the truth is, Chris, I've just never felt like I'm good enough. I didn't think I was worthy enough. And I want you to know that it's not about your worth or being good enough. It's about what Christ did on the cross. And today Jesus says, come to me just as you are. And I will forgive you. I will care for you. I will give you new life. And if you've been searching and searching and searching and there's something in this world that you've been searching for and you don't know what the satisfaction is, I want you to know that you can find it in Jesus today. So today, if you want to give your life to Christ for the first time or maybe you're drifting back to him and you're like, today's the day, God. I want you to be the master of my life. I invite you to simply pray this prayer after me. In fact, uh, you don't have to pray it alone. We'll pray it together in unison, but to repeat after me. Heavenly Father, I give my life to you. Jesus, forgive me. Make me brand new. I surrender to you. Be the Lord of my life. Because you died for me, I choose you. Thank you for new life. Now you have mine. Jesus name I pray. Amen. Hey, let's give a hand to everybody who said that prayer for the first time. Welcome to the kingdom of God.